Hey to everybody out there in podcast land. It's uh, episode number 10 of the Nitrogen Podcast here with your favourite mask-wearing, hand-washing individuals, and marvellous Mark Ashworth and Das Axon Kid, Brian Bradshaw. Well, how are things going at your end, Brian? Mark! Woo! By God, Ashworth! It's so fucking good to be back. It's been six long weeks since we recorded. I am fucking jazzed. You're not deaf, are you now? Uh, yeah, it's 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 good to hear that you're uh, you're excited about this one, Brian. Oh God, it is. It's just seemed like it's been forever since we've done a recording. I apologise if I'm a little bit out of practice. Hopefully not, though. No, we're hoping that we can just jump straight into it again. We've we've got the confidence because we're just smooth motherfuckers, really. Let's be honest. Yeah, one of us is. We've obviously been very busy, and that's the reason why we've not been recording for a few weeks. So it might it might take us a little bit to get back into the swing of things. But I, I'm hoping that now this mandatory rule of us drinking while we are recording podcasts is going to help lubricate the uh, easing of our voices into your ear holes. Oh my. <laughs> Gotta quote George Takei when you can. Yes, why not? Why the hell not? This is Nitro number 20, which goes down on January 15th in 1996 uh, in Miami, Florida. And we open up with an excitable Eric Bischoff welcoming us all to the latest edition of Nitro, running down the card for tonight's show. And the matches will not waste any time in getting through on this edition of the Nitrogen podcast. We jump straight in and we go straight to Lex Luger versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. And I've got to, I've got to be honest with you, Brian. Not only have I missed Macho Man Randy Savage... But I've actually missed Lex Luger a little bit as well. Yeah, I've missed shitting on the guy. <laughs> you know, I, I'm actually going to be kind to him here. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Maybe only for this match, but I'm going to be kind. Well, the animosity between these two has been boiling for months, obviously. And uh, Macho is the last champion, so he's hungry from that loss. While Lex looks for his first title reign since his return to WCW. Lex throws a chair into the ring, which Macho catches, and as Macho goes to use it, the referee holds him back, allowing Lex to get the advantage at the offset of this match. Not a bad way to start things off. Not at all. That catch was fucking slick. Yes. I had to rewind that, because I didn't actually see him catch it at first. It was just so slick, catch, and then attempt to use. I'm like, what the fuck was going on there? I had to <laughs> rewind it. Oh, absolute Perfection. Yeah, it was very, very, very good. Um, I just, I should put a disclaimer at the beginning of this as well. Um, so the the nitros that I watched are actually VHS rips. They're not the network versions, so there might be odd things that are a bit different or whatever. Basically, I, I don't have the network at this moment in time, but it is, it is going to make a return at some point. It once again feels like Macho is being used as an enhancement talent for Lex Luger here, really, which is strange given the way that Lex came into WCW. Uh, there's many heelish moves from Lex. Again, odd because he's in a babyface tag team with Sting now, as we've detailed on a previous edition of the Nitrogen podcast. I, I am again going to, going to skip through the, the matches a little bit and just go to the to the kind of the big moments that stood out to me. The meat and veg. Yes. Um, Macho goes big with an elbow that was uh, at least twenty foot in, like off the ground. Insane, insane. I think the camera, cameraman and the camera angle actually helped this out immensely uh, from the top rope. But Lex moves at the very last millisecond. Like we are talking, he was just this close to getting hit by that elbow. Uh, and Lex gets the rack up for the win. And that's it. It's just as quickly and as simple as that. 
a beautiful elbow that doesn't connect, and Lex is up with the torture rack, and it's a, it's a win for the Lex Luger. Yeah, it was as good a match as the Lex Luger match can be, really, to be honest with you. It's good as I've seen him so far. It actually looked like he cared about it. But going back to uh, what you were saying about the camera helping the elbow drop uh, look even better, this is classic wrestling production. Um, you, you usually get it, you used to get it in WWE, like when Mankind went off the top of the Hell in a Cell. That angle from the table when he dropped in, it made it look like it were a bigger fall than what it was. Uh, and it works here as well. If that was happening nowadays, there'd be a fucking million crash zooms. Yeah, it would, and, and they've been massively overused, haven't they? I, I remember when I was in the days when I was watching TNA and everything like that, I really I didn't mind the crash zoom, actually, because it was kind of just new to wrestling. But all these... Every, I mean, every, it, it seems almost every promotion uses it now, and it's very overdone. And in the days of 4K and, and high-definition television, you can actually probably get motion sickness from, from that sort of rapid movement. Yeah, imagine somebody actually watching it for a VR headset. That's just what I was thinking, actually. Yeah, yeah, you literally took the words right out of my brain. Yeah, that's going to be nauseating, to say the least. Yeah. Next up, we'll see all of the Dungeon and Doom, uh, Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen come to the ring, grabbing Gene Oakland to interview them and emphasising the new United States Heavyweight Champion, which is the One Man Gang. I know. One Man Gang is the fucking US Champion. What the fuck? Yeah, he's just come in and literally just stole the second biggest title in WCW. I, I don't yeah. know how. I just, I mean, is he mates with Hulk Hogan? Probably not. Probably not. Oh, okay then, fair enough. <laughs> it was uh, a genuine question. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, I was so bored by the presence straight away that I actually gave them all new names. Uh, the oh. Yeah, they're now the Dung Beatles of Dung. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, uh, I just call Kevin Sullivan Big Kev Sulkivan. Uh, uh, Hugh Morris is huge moron. One Man Gang is One Man Gang Bang. Wow. Easy for me to wow. say. Wow. Zodiac is Zodiac with three Z's because of, you know, snooze. And the Giant is Diet Andre the Giant. <laughs> Diet Andre the Giant. Brilliant. Speaking speaking of the giant, you know, like g- going back, we're not really seeing much uh, in in the way of of giant really doing anything apart from the odd running with a bar stool or anything like that. I completely forgot about the fucking bar stool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did you forget that, that s- random weapon of choice from the giant who's seven foot four and fucking five hundred pounds? I don't, I don't know. He's uh, just mad because he can't sit on it. Yeah, so he may as well fucking use it as a weapon. Yeah. I tell you something though. I mean, if you want a if you want a socially distant bar fight, there you go. You don't get more socially distant than the fucking giant with a bar stool because people are gonna run the fuck away from him. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna hang around for that one, really, are you? No. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll go back to this uh, little segment in the ring, and Gene asks the question as to why Arn isn't dressed to wrestle as scheduled and disapproves of Pillman's attire. Uh, Arn says that he and Sullivan have had a meeting of the minds. And that there is no financial payoff, neither faction will be facing each other without benefit. Mongol says, this uh, is all chimmy chimmy in here. What the fuck does that mean? I have no idea, I didn't hear that bit. <laughs> yeah, I had to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> Sullivan then goes on to put over Ric Flair, saying he's bigger than the NFL and baseball teams in America again. We've talked about this before, this is really meaningless to us. I mean, if they'd have said, 
Ric Flair is bigger than Manchester United, then yeah, yeah, fair enough. But just whatever. Uh, he also says that they can borrow the giant at the Clash of the Champions. He says he also respects Arn, but that Pillman is disrespectful. Pillman gets a little bit excitable in his reply to Sullivan, and Arn gives him one hell of a slap. And I'm talking a huge left hand to the chops of Brian Pillman and says he needs to keep himself in check. Oh, my God. I was watching this in the cafe, and I was fucking pissing myself with laughter <laughs> because it's just a huge whack. And then the look on Pillman's face. He looks like a child that's been caught stealing out of his mum's purse. Yes. Oh, my God. I laughed so hard at this. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I just love the father-son dynamic that they have. Yeah. Like, a very toxic uh, father-son dynamic, but a father-son dynamic nonetheless. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's an intriguing story, really. So, I mean, somewhere down the line, the payoff, the idea had to be to have them two face off against each other, surely. And what, you know, what a, what a match that would have been if it had happened. Um, oh, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, had it happened when, you know, spoiler alert and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he says he needs to keep himself in check uh, because obviously we've seen that Brian Pillman is getting more and more erratic as, as each week goes on. It's reminded that a dungeon member has a match against Hogan tonight so that the horseman can help out if necessary. Uh, it wasn't. I don't think it was actually mentioned at that point who was going to face Hogan that night. And then the next matchup is uh, Public Enemy versus the American Males. Now, here's another disclaimer from this match. Uh, public, this is not Public Enemy, the rap group, because I thought they were one and the same, but they're not. This is just two fat dudes. A crap group. Yeah, crap. We'll go crap group, yeah. Yeah, these are two fat dudes in hockey jerseys that... I'll be honest, I really don't give a two shits about. They're not very good. No, they're not. It's a big miss. Apparently, Go on. that was the secret for uh, for the success in ECW, apparently. If you ask Paul Heyman, the success was, they weren't very good. They just did, did hardcore shit. Yeah, yeah. Big... It doesn't translate anywhere else if you're not doing hardcore stuff. I think it's the same in this one, really. There's a big spot and then that's it, and it's not even during the match. So, it's a big mismatch to start off with because Public Enemy are bloody awful. While we've gotten familiar with the uh, males and been impressed with them individually and as a tag team, I'm speaking for myself, obviously, I'm going to presume that you you kind of feel the same there, Brian. Yeah, I've said it. You know, they're both very talented people. Mm. Um, At the beginning, we start off with symmetrical moves to start off, and uh, there's a duck, right hands, big backdrop, clotheslines over the top to the outside. It was all quite fast-paced to start off with even though public enemy are quite top heavy public enemy do get the better of rigs further down the line but bagwell comes to the rescue with a big crossbody as rigs escape the pair uh delivering symmetrical drop kicks which i was going to ask about the drop kick ometer on this one i didn't actually put a rating down oh okay okay fair enough yeah par for the course me being out of practice yeah <laughs> i completely forgot about the own fucking uh, meter that I actually started up. Well, they, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add lib and I'll say it's probably around the seven. They, they were pretty good. They yeah. were pretty, pretty smooth, pretty uh, quick to deliver as well. Uh, they were quite nice actually. Yeah, very snappy. I agree. Yeah, everything seemed to flow quite nicely. Again, I'm I'm pissing on Public Enemy, here, but I'm you know the males kind of take the lead on it, and and they're the athletic ones. So 
everything does look pretty good. And when a big guy goes down from a drop kick, it, it does it does look much much better. I like Bischoff really trying hard to, you know, cover for the shittiness of public enemy. <laughs> they may not be pretty. They may not put on a technical wrestling lesson here, but they are gonna hurt you. Wow. Yeah, putting them over massively. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby Heenan does a better job. He just says they are banned from all Philly sports. Yeah, I, I mean, so, you know, I mean, we we don't really know much about uh, football or you know American football as it is, or baseball or ice hockey, or what have you. Philly's got a bit of a reputation, so to say that they're actually banned from all Philly sports, I I'd say that's a yeah. Yeah, it's a lot better than fucking Eric Bischoff putting them over anyway. It was. I mean, at the beginning of that, obviously, Heenan was the one saying where they're from and all that sort of stuff, and it did kind of sound like it was reading from a script. But, again, we don't know who these cunts are, so we have to read from a script. And I'll be honest, I didn't do any research on them. I didn't even know they were in ECW until you mentioned. So Mm. there you go. They were in WWE as well. Holy fuck. Oh, yes. uh... These guys really punched above their weight, didn't they? Oh, well, put it this way. <laughs> There's a really fucking good story about their WWE career, mate. Interesting. A really good story. Interesting. I'll tell you that now. I think it was on, like, Sunday Night Heat or something like that. Um, Public Enemy were to face the APA. I think they were just the acolytes at this point. And they wanted to go over. They refused to do anything that they were told. So somebody told the Acolytes to basically kill him. So the whole match was Bradshaw and Farouk beating the fuck out of them. And I mean, stiff shots. You name it. If they could use it as a weapon, they fucking used it. It's on YouTube. I I implore you to hunt this down because it's an absolute fucking delight. Was this shoot? Uh, yes. It was. You can... T- Oh, you can tell there were a lot of hard fucking shoot shots in there. Like, at one point, I think it's... uh, I don't even know which fucking member of the public enemy it was, but Bradshaw picks up some steel steps and just fucking throws it at one of them. I I can't even remember who he threw it at. He just threw it at one of them, and it looked fucking rough. And this is on heat. Not even on SmackDown or Raw, on fucking heat. (laughs) Well... My impression of Public Enemy is this match, and I would say it's definitely heat fodder. Certainly shouldn't be on Nitro. <laughs> yes. Um, but also, going back to what you're saying there, when it comes to Bradshaw, you don't need to tell him twice to go shoot on someone. Oh, no. I, I, I'd say the same about Farouk as well. Hmm. Yeah, you just say, oh, yeah, yeah, those two, the dickheads, go and fucking beat him up. <laughs> yeah. You're like, damn right I do. Boom! He'll fucking do it. You won't even you won't need to ask him. He'll just fucking go and do it. I have a lot of time and a lot of respect for Farouk, um, Ron Simmons, obviously, um, the first black world heavyweight champion in WCW. I know that for a fact. Uh, I don't know if it was in the entire wrestling world at that point, but I know I know that it certainly wasn't done for some sort of political agenda. It was just done because the guy was that damn fucking good at that time. And I watched him wrestle Sting maybe a couple of times. And that's how I first got exposed to Ron Simmons. And I, I just can't fault the guy. I mean, obviously, towards the twilight of his career, it, it became about the whole damn thing. Uh, but there was a whole lot to Farouk that maybe some listeners to this podcast have missed. 
Uh, he's well worth going back and having a look at what he could do, especially, as you said, in the APA. They were one of the fucking top dogs, man. They were one of the best tag teams in the WWE, WWF, Attitude Era. Um, again, a lot of time and a lot of respect for Farouk, but Bradshaw can go and suck a fat one as far as I'm concerned. Don't lie the guy. Hey, that's my dad you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kefe. Yeah. No, he can go fuck himself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan of JBO. Uh if not for the bullying for disparaging my family name, you go fuck yourself, John. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll say that to your face. Well, might not. Right, back to the match now. We've segued a little bit. Uh, <laughs> once <laughs> once things slow down, the match gets uh, pretty basic, but the finish is mega poor, in my opinion. Bagwell has his pin, on the, uh, but the referee is tied up with Riggs. Uh, one of the public enemy gets a reversal and a handful of the pants to get a three count. Uh, it's just the really slowest fucking... roll-up in wrestling history. It was, yeah. It you was. could fucking wind your watch <laughs> five times over and he will still be fucking struggling to get that roll-up. It was awful. Yeah, it was straight out of 95, 95 ECW. Um, on the outside, which this finish seems to have set up, it, we see two tables stacked up up on top of each other and Bagwell is set up on the top table to take a big cent on from the top rope through both tables and as we go to a break Bagwell is writhing in agony now for for spots this match might not have been that good but you know what that spot wasn't too bad it, it looked fairly safe <laughs> as fairly safe can be but my my question here Brian is so these guys came from ECW, and this is on the fly. I haven't wrote this down or anything like that. If these guys came from ECW, and they're setting up these tables. Sabu came from ECW, and he's setting up these tables. And they, they're not these gimmick tables that we see in 21st century wrestling either. No, these are the buffet these tables. Are the, these are the buffet tables from like seven weeks ago, man. <laughs> yeah, it's what Mongo called them again. Oh, did he, did he say that again? Oh, excellent. Well, yep, he used it again. <clears throat> and... Uh, yeah, uh, I actually did write down another nod to ECW. Mm. Yeah, it, it's very on the nose. We know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, you you you're going out your way to cover for these guys. You know, basically just saying, yeah, they're not going to put on a technical classic, but they are going to fucking hurt you. Yeah, and then you just have them do an ECW spot. Why fucking bring them in? Well, he's Bischoff trying to cover all bases and get as much of the demographic as possible. Oh shit, let's not say demographic because everybody's kicking off about that word at this moment oh, in time. Oh, fucking um, hell. We'll have the demo god fucking tweeting at us. Yeah. Uh, so, is Bischoff trying to get as much of the audience or the, the television viewership to watch WCW Nitro if, you know, if, if some ECW fans hear that a couple of people from ECW have shown up and they've put people through the tables, they might actually tune into WCW to see what's going on. And then obviously there's a multitude of things bringing the celebrities in and and all that sort of stuff. Very, it's very basic plays from Bischoff really to try and get an extra point one on the ratings. But that that'd be my opinion anyway. That's the reason why these guys are coming in, and it must be because Public Enemy were out of a contract or whatever, or ECW didn't want them anymore, and I can see why, because it would have been much better much bigger sense to bring in one of the fucking top dogs and it, let's face it Bischoff and Turner could afford it I, I think at this point it, uh, 
Tommy Dreamer was getting pretty over with the with the crowd. So, you know, if you'd offered him the money, he probably would have turned up. Hmm. Interesting but, that you'd say Tommy Dreamer. Actually, I read a story that came off his podcast. Was it last week? Saying oh, that you he, told me about this. Yeah, yeah. He 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 wanted to murder. Paul Heyman in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania 17. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's like shocking. You know what I mean? And scary. Yeah, definitely. So WrestleMania 17 again. We, you know, we've talked about WrestleManias before. WrestleMania 17 is. It was my first WrestleMania really because that's just a week after they purchased WCW, and they had the WCW. <laughs> They had WCW stars, quote unquote, sat up in the rafters. I think Stacy Keebler was up there and Chavo Guerrero. So when I say stars, they're the only two that actually had any capabilities of being able to fucking make it in the wrestling industry or the WWE for that matter. Yeah, I think uh, Meat uh, Sean Stasiak was up there as well. He was, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He 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 almost ruined the invasion angle. <laughs> Yeah. You mean uh, the invasion angle wasn't already ruined, Brian? What kind of bit, skullduggery is this? Yeah, he <laughs> they, they went off course a little bit. I couldn't tell you exactly where they went off course because it was it, from what we saw, it was bad. Sean Stasiak, he's a, he, he he did get punished for it, but that way they made him look like the most useless fucking cunt on TV after that. Well, as I said to you yesterday, I'd love... Where is it? Yesterday or the day before, I'd love to co- cover everything that's WCW. That includes video games, movies. So sooner or later, that does mean that the invasion will be something that we'll be doing at some point. Maybe on the not the Nitro Gen podcast, but maybe some sort of subsidiary or a special or somewhere down the line. It's, but I'm going to get fucking hot about that pay-per-view. <laughs> like, really hot. Because I think there's only one, maybe two matches that I actually enjoyed. And the rest of it is just utter dog shit. You can say that about the whole fucking angle, mate. Yes, definitely. So we'll get back into this Nitro, Nitro number 20 from Miami, Florida. And the next match up is The Man Called Sting. Or Singe, if the fireworks go off next to him. Versus (laughs) the Nature Boy Ric Flair, who is accompanied to the ring by Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South. And this is for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And this is not the main event. Not the main event, because Hulk fucking Hogan. Yeah. I wrote down Ric Flair representing Norwich City here. (laughs) The green and yellow. Nice. Nice catch. Nice catch. I like it. American people don't know who Norwich City are. Google is at your fingertips. But, yeah. They have... The most eccentric co- uh, use of colour for kits in the whole of the UK, I might. I, I don't think there's any other club that dares to use bright yellow and green like that. Yeah, certainly or any, not. Or any, or any other like really bright combination, maybe for a wear kit, but not for a fucking home kit. I was going to say black this... and use yellow every couple of years, don't they? Yeah, just yellow, but not yellow and green. No. But no, uh, just... Now that you've said that. Oh, yeah, it's gonna happen. <laughs> Get something yeah. released yet? <laughs> Great. We're gonna have the yellow and green halves that Man United used to have. Oh, kill me now! Kill me yeah. now! Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, you're saying eccentric use of kits. What about ex- eccentric fucking owner? It's Honor? fucking Delia Smith, isn't it? Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah, man. 
Fucking, let's be having you! So if anybody Fire! out there is listening, and you don't know who Norwich City are, just look for the Norwich shitty... No, Norwich shitty. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have been relegated. <laughs> yeah, true. Hey, hang on. They've been re- relegated to Blackburn's division, right? So let's, let's... let's let's Actually, we're shit as well, so fuck it. Yeah, um, yeah if you're going out there onto YouTube or whatever, have a look for Norwich City, half-time pep talk or whatever by Delia Smith. She's absolutely yeah. fucking wasted on red wine and apparently the crowd are pretty flat. Apparently the game's pretty poor and she just... She just it's iconic in soccer. It's iconic in football. It's just iconic in the whole British Isles. If you ask people who don't even like football, let's be having you, they know what it's from. Speaking of, she would make the perfect valet for Rick Flair here, wouldn't she? You know, they both <laughs> like a tipple, you know. You could just imagine Delia Smith as Rick Flair's got uh, himself trapped in the reversal of the figure four and Diego Smith's just at ringside going let's be having you <laughs> fucking hell you know that will put butts in seats <laughs> well Sting on his entrance uh, he looks back to the fireworks and says that they are too much and I think that's the PTSD still being prevalent as we've discussed before you always know what you uh, what to expect when it comes to a Sting Flair matchup a little spice is added to this because of the problems that the two have had in the last month or two but generally, you're going to see the same holds, the same moves, and the same spots, more or less. And that's not disparaging what they're doing. Uh, it's the same thing, but people love it. As we've said before, people just fucking they flock to see it. Uh, it's two styles that meshed really well together, two people that know each other inside out, and it just works, and it's it worked for a long time in WCW. Yeah, It always it, seemed to be the go-to thing when things didn't look that rosy. Yeah, it goes to show that there is a difference in being a good wrestler and being over you know you can be one or the other or you can be both but being a good wrestler doesn't automatically mean that you are going to be over with the crowd if people go back and watch stuff like this you know just bear in mind that yeah it might not be to your personal taste but the fans are always hot for it and that's because these two guys are the definition of over Yes. And if you don't like this, but you absolutely supported Rey Mysterio's eye falling out of his head, go fuck <laughs> yourself. <laughs> An eight count of punches in the corner, a hip toss, and a drop kick for the drop kick ometer. Um, Again, it just completely slipped my line, the drop kick ometer. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> okay. Well, this this is a pretty good one, to be fair. That the whole, the whole thing's pretty slick, pretty smooth. Probably... Seven and a half, maybe bordering on an eight. Not too bad at all. Big gorilla press slam, as always, which sends Fleur down. Uh, always made to look so easy by these two. The big suplex from the top rope looked crazy. And Sting may have jarred his neck on that one while Fleur sold oh, yeah. huge for it as well. Sting does he does sort of jump up a little bit and stagger to ropes, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, but it did look, from an aesthetic point of view on, on TV, it did look really fucking good, if a little unsafe. Uh, uh, I actually want to point out is throughout this Eric Bischoff is promoting Clash of the Champions and he's got an ace in the hole here he's got an ace card in this back pocket appearing at Clash of the Champions is Jim Belushi yes yeah the David Fleur of the Belushi family yeah (laughs) everyone wants to see him yeah uh, according to Jim uh (laughs) 
that that's basically what he's known for. Oh, and being one of uh, the was it one of the elves in Jingle All the Way. Oh fucking oh my! Oh God. oh oh! I just thought of something. This is probably how uh, the giants got into that movie. They probably met on. Oh on, yeah. They they probably met at Clash of the Champions, and then Jim probably looked at him and like, hey, I know this movie that's gonna be on. You you know you, you might be good for it. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in it. No, <laughs> you, you never know. I I reckon this probably tied into that somehow. It wouldn't surprise me if it did. It wouldn't surprise me because I know I know. They managed to get Sylvester Stallone to do something, didn't they, at one point? Or it might have been the other way around. Uh, somebody ended up working with Sylvester Stallone in their film because he was around wherever WCW were filming at that point. And there's like a picture on the internet of Sly Stallone wearing this WCW cap and all that. Yeah, it's weird how things sort of come together that way. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah, a hot but- start for uh, the Giants' acting career. You know, it, it, I mean, he went to star on uh, such classics as Knucklehead and uh, The Big Show Show. For, uh... Yeah. Mm. <laughs> no, I, one, I'll be honest. No wonder it didn't fucking take off. No. You know, I, you, you buddied up with fucking Jim Belushi. You buddied up with a wrong Belushi brother. <laughs> Maybe he was hoping to use Belushi to get to Schwarzenegger. Maybe. I don't know. It didn't but fucking yeah, work, though, did it? No, it didn't, no. Or maybe, yeah. maybe, uh, because Big Shaw was in WWE at this point, maybe he actually got Arnold Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger to guest appear on WWE television. Mm. Oh, swings and roundabouts. Could be, could be. I know that I know that the Big Shaw, obviously Paul White, he does have a lot of connections now. It's crazy how hooked up that guy is, to be fair. But yeah, he's 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 his number is in a lot of phones. That's all I know. We're doing everything to avoid the fucking main event of this, aren't we? We are, aren't we? Really? But I, I know that I didn't write much for it, so we can fly through it. Yeah. Um, a few minutes after the uh, big vertical suplex, Sting attempts a sunset flip, but uh, Ric Flair holds on to the ropes, and the TV side got to see all of Flair's ass for like the second week in a row. He fucking loves doing that, doesn't he? Yes, he loves showing his ass. <laughs> oh my, oh my god! Seriously, if he was in WWE a couple of years later, he might have actually been given the Mister Ass gimmick. <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'm an ass man. Woo, woo! <laughs> this spot, he did this in TNA. He got somebody to pull his pants down in TNA, and it was not. It just no. If you actually look good. at his wrestling profile, that's one of his moves. Really? Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> it's not. I'm just. <laughs> oh fucking right. having... <laughs> No, I know what I know what a kind of weird and wonderful place Wikipedia can be. So, yeah. Uh... <laughs> anyway, Sting pulls the chunks down to stop him holding onto the top rope, but to no avail. <laughs> well, other than the big pop that the crowd give. The third Gorilla Press Slam we see in this match sees Jimmy Hart get onto the apron, but Luger comes down to confront him. Luger takes the micro- uh, the megaphone away from hit- from Jimmy Hart, uh, just as Sting is coming in for a Stinger Splash, and ends up decking Sting. Flair puts on a figure four for the win, while Sting is completely passed out. Flair doesn't even break the hold uh, until Hogan and Savage come out for the save. 
Luger also beats a hasty retreat while Macho and Hogan pull Sting up and tell him exactly what just happened with Lex. You'll see Hogan here pushing Macho to make sure everyone looks good on TV so he knows where the camera is and he, he realises that everybody needs to be in a certain place to get maximum exposure on TV. And as much as I hate Hulk Hogan, this was actually like a really good production standpoint thing. Um, and it just shows his experience and knowledge in the ring as it pertains to entertainment, not necessarily wrestling ability. I wouldn't even say it pertains to entertainment, to be honest with you, but in in terms of actually knowing how to produce a wrestling product, you know, he fucking nailed that. Yeah, definitely. Savage says Lex just cost him the match and cost him the title, and Sting says that he's going to go and find out from the horse's mouth. Sting leaves to hunt down Lex, and Hogan confronts Macho to say he has a title shot, even though he's lost four times to Lex, while Hogan can't get a sniff. He had a sniff, actually, but he grasped Owen Anderson up for running in with the brass knuckles, if you remember. Uh, If he hadn't hadn't grasped him up, you think about it, the match would have continued and he might have got the win. Duh, Hogan, duh. Don't be a fucking dunce. He also says his name is still on the title belt. Yes, he does. Who the fuck is in charge of the props and the continuity here? I have no idea. It's not like they were cost-cutting measures. (laughs) Not at this point in WCW's tenure. Uh, Gene announces it's Hogan and Savage versus The Giant and Fleur at Clash at the Champions to end this segment. We're going to the main event and it's Hulk Hogan versus Meng. Of all people, I, can't, I just can't Ugh. believe this is the main event over a world title match. Um, Sorry, I just had to, I just had to shudder because I had to put on Twitter uh, last week that thanks to this podcast, I can no longer call Haku anything other than Meng. Yeah. And I swear to God, it was like two minutes later, I actually got a phone call and it was from Tonga. <laughs> now, in the last few weeks... I've had a very accident prone. Oh, spoiler alert! Uh, I've had an accident prone day at work, and uh, even after work, ended up dropping a shelving unit on my foot. Um, so when I actually saw that dodgy phone call from Tonga, I was fearing, fearing for my fucking life. Hmm. Yeah, it, it could it, have been something's him. happened there. I kind of hope that it was. Not gonna lie. Oh fuck! Why do you want me to die? No, we've been putting men over. Yeah, he's listed. If, I, I'm going to go through the statistics on the podcast and see if Tonga is in there. If Tonga is in there, Meng's listening, and Meng knows that we're on his side. We hate the Dungeon of Doom, but we like Meng. Yeah. Okay, fair yeah, enough. See, we're okay. We're cool. We're cool. We were telling stories about how Meng is hard, hard as nails. You know what I mean? We didn't say he was a pussy, unlike Bradshaw. He's <laughs> pussy. You're pussy. Yeah, he's referring to JBL, not me. Obviously, obviously. Well, anyway, um, I've probably written 30 words about this match, so I'll just fly through this. From a purely storyline development standpoint, I get it. I get this being a main event, but traditionally, this is utter poop pants. This is not fucking good. The world title should always be the main event. Always, always, always. Oh, we got a lot to fucking say coming up. (laughs) Stay tuned. Meng is on top from almost all of this match until he brings out a spike to Deck Hogan. That's, that sums up like fucking seven <laughs> minutes of this match. Honestly, it does. Yeah. Hogan hooks up. Sullivan is on the apron. And just as Hogan is going for the leg drop, 
he gets his, his attention diverted. But Macho takes Sullivan down. Hogan takes the spike, uses it on Meng, even though he grassed on up for using weapons the previous week or two. And he gets the win. It's as simple as that. We get a quick rundown and promotion for Saturday. Nitro and the Clash of the Champions coming up in the next eight days. And we are out of this Nitro. Thank fuck. Um, what what would your uh, what would your opinions and your ratings be there, Brian, for this one? Oh fucking hell! What a dull Nitro that was. I actually forgot how bad it was. I mean, I actually watched this Nitro like two weeks ago. Um, yeah, apart from uh, I, I, I would say the opening was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and the Dungeon of Doom. Fucking hell. Here's some. I'm actually giving a compliment to the Dungeon of Doom here, uh, just by association. Uh, the Dungeon of Doom for a Horseman segment was my highlight of the night. It was just a really good segment. There weren't really a lot going on, but you know, there were, I, it made me laugh. Uh, so yeah, apart from that, the rest of it was just fucking dog shit. Uh, I actually go back on my rating for this because I actually put a two star, and I think that's being way too kind. Uh, I'd say 1.5 at the very best. Fair enough. I think that I think that Camden Hell's Lager. I mean, if that's making you like these fucking Dungeon of Dooms segments, no, no, no. It, it again, it was just by that. association. <laughs> it was by association. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah. Uh, just to underscore just how bad that natural was. Dice. That's what I'm doing with my notes. Excellent. Uh, if we make it big, you'll regret doing that one day because you might have to, you might have been able to sell that for fifty quid. Well, yeah. I'm going to surprise you, Brian, because the television rating for this was a three point five versus Raw's wow. two point four. So, for some reason in America, they like shit TV. Well, you know, when you got keeping up the Kardashians being one of the most popular fucking TV shows over there, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't Very it? Very true. Although I think. The Kardashians at this point were probably three. Although the dad had just got mm. OJ off. <laughs> got him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, the raw results that garnered that 2.4 rating, which is unfortunate really when you look back at it. Owen Hart with Jim Cornette defeating Marty Jannetty. The ringmaster with Ted DiBiasity. Div- uh, Ted DiBiasity. <laughs> <laughs> the ringmaster with Ted DiBiase defeated Matt Hardy. The Smoking Guns, who were the tag team champions from the Raw Toilet Bowl, as you'll remember, defeated defeated the Spiders. Who the fuck are the Spiders? I have absolutely no fucking clue. Spider One and Spider Two. Oh, maybe maybe the the assassins from a couple of weeks ago on Nitro <laughs> under a different mask. Yeah, no idea. They retained the WWF tag team championships in that one. And I'd just like o- to imagine that that match was just uh, the uh, the smoking guns. Uh, I think it were Bart Gunn and Billy Gunn. Yeah. Uh, were just uh, running around the ring, shoes in hands, just trying to hit spiders. Might have been more entertaining. It certainly would have been more entertaining than this fucking shit show that was natural. <laughs> and in the main event, The Undertaker with Paul Burry defeated Isaac Yankum DDS. Fucking hell, there's a backstory. Hmm. I mean, uh, they completely fucking overlooked that on TV when they were telling the Kane, Paul Bearer, Undertaker story. So, 
we're going to head ourselves straight into Nitro number 21 here, which is going down on January 22nd, 1996 in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we are live from Caesars Palace, which is no small task to get that venue. I'll be honest, I, I didn't think it looked that good. The crowd was pretty good. They were pretty vocal, but I didn't actually think that the place looked that decent. No. It kind of looked like a big barn. Yeah, that's what I got. That's mm. what I thought about it. It didn't really look anything spectacular. Yeah. Now, I remember WrestleMania 9 being at Caesars Palace, and I don't really know much about Caesars Palace outside that it's actually just a pretty big venue. You know, a well-known venue, historic, obviously. Apart from that, I don't know much about it. Did they just add a roof to that outside area? Did they just build an arena? I have no fucking clue. No, I, I think... I think. Or was it just inside the actual casino? Now, that would be interesting. They did it in a mall, so why not just start fucking fighting in a casino? Why the fuck not? Yeah, why not? Dr- drill somebody's head into a fruit machine. It'd be fine. Oh, fucking hell. We don't know who lis- who's listening to this. You know, Cody Rhodes might fucking book the next All Out in a casino. Well, if he fucking does... I'm watching. We've got it on... We've got it on audio that we deserve some royalty rights for coming up with the idea. Just saying, yeah. Cody. Think about it. And you're rich. Spending all that corn money. <laughs> fucking out awkward Run. silence, sir. <laughs> fucking calling out Cody Rhodes and the cons now. I know, yeah. We're calling out everybody on this episode. Fucking out. it's been six weeks and we're just letting it all out. So the commentary desk run through tonight's action. Actually, come to think of it, Disco, Inferno, and Eric Bischoff. We've still not seen this music video. Yeah, we're calling you out as well. I said I'd kick your ass. I said I said we'd do it, right? Just get it done. Although, yeah, Eric, and, and you don't you... You, you don't want to fuck you don't want to fuck with us, right? Because we're from Blackburn, which means we get really scissor happy, right? Just fucking just think on. Uh, the. the... <laughs> The commentary desk run through tonight's action when they're interrupted by Conan. Here comes Conan, the Mexican oh, heavyweight okay. champion. And Sorry, he says bit... he says the Mexican heavyweight championship will be defended against Psychosis at the Clash of the Champions. Just completely out of the blue. Yeah, he just popped up from nowhere. Yeah. Conan's a, lot, a person that likes to assault people, which is exactly what we'll do to you, Eric Bischoff, and Disco Inferno. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> show us this music video. Right, calm down, Mark. We don't want a lawsuit. Oh, I'll be fine. Be right. You know, when we get our merch and we sell that, we might be able to afford a lawyer. But right now, you know, I'm fucking potless. You know, I mean, speak for yourself, but I can't afford a lawyer. Legal aid. Be fine. Uh, just get on the phone to WWE, see if we can just hire Jerry McDivitt for the day. Oh, well, then we're fucking sorted, aren't we? Fucking hell, we could kill somebody and get away with it. Yeah, they'll, yeah they'll, you know, we'll kill them, and as they're dying, they'll apologise to us. Yeah, why the fuck not? Yeah. Jesus Christ, it's gotten dark. Let's move on. Yes, let's. Uh, to the macho man. He's on his way to the ring, accompanied by many, 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 many women, which uh, include the beautiful Nancy Benoit, as uh, she was known when she passed away, also known in the wrestling circles as woman. And onto the mic he goes with Gene O'Cullen saying he'll be steaming hot tonight. Speaking of steaming hot, here comes Hulk Hogan. One's a fucking steaming hot tonight. The other one's a steaming hot pile of cow dung. I was going to put down. 
I, I must have been drinking when I was watching this. I can't remember. I just put down, Savage cuts a promo to me and Gene and a hot blonde. Oh, wait, not a hot blonde. It's Hulk Hogan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I might have been drinking. Jesus Christ. <laughs> there, there, there was, a, there was an attractive lady that had blonde hair that had accompanied to, him to the ring and then Hulk Hogan showed up. I want to make it clear, you know, the kind of blondes I like don't come with uh, a skull and a moustache. No, definitely not, no. Hogan wishes him good luck, but then demands uh, the first title shot if he wins the title before stomping off his... Off... What the fuck have I written here? (laughs) Uh, Bischoff (laughs) then lets the cat out of the bag and says tomorrow night that Miss Elizabeth is going to reunite with the Macho Man and with Hulk Hogan, to which Heenan puts over the old Miss Elizabeth Macho Man dynamic as being the biggest partnership ever in the wrestling business and this is a huge deal knowing the story obviously we've all we've all watched the dark side of the ring or at least we i hope we've all watched the dark side of the ring when it comes to the macho man and, and miss elizabeth you you when you go back and you see all the stuff you know like the the, the, the proposal marriage thing in the ring and all that sort of stuff it was fucking so so well done and there for for all the trials and tribulations and all the bad stuff that happened, they actually had like a lot of chemistry on screen as well. They were like the um, I don't know they they were just like the iconic couple, weren't they, in wrestling terms? Yeah, absolutely. Can't understate understate just how how pivotal for the uh, for the for the industry that pairing was. You know, Miss Elizabeth is known as the very first ballet. I don't know if that is actually true. You know, WWE tend to rewrite history uh, wherever they fucking can, let's be fair. But uh, it, there is no denying that she had a massive influence on the industry. Yeah, yeah. She she may she may not be the first valet, but she was probably the first one to make it important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful woman. Uh, it's really, really sad what happened to her. Lex has got a lot of answering to do even to this day. And... You know, he he might have battled his demons and everything like that, and he might have found God the week before. But the stuff that were happening in that household—it's really sad to know the way that she went. And mm. she's like you said, she's massively important to the industry. She was massively important to Macho at this time as well, even though they were going through, you know, a lot of fucking bad stuff, uh, a real lot of bad stuff, and and not a lot of stuff that she deserved either. But as it pertains to this, obviously she's coming in on Tuesday night at the Clash of the Champions. Uh, Macho Man was actually the one that got her this contract uh, because she was out of work, she wasn't doing anything and, and Macho said well I'm working at WCW, do you want to come over to WCW? At this point they were divorced and you know they just stayed on speaking terms but they managed to maintain a friendship and uh, Macho got her, a, I think it was something like a I think it was like $50,000 a year contract to just turn up at WCW and just manage so we're going to see her at Clash of the Champions and me and uh, Das Acton Kid have got a massive announcement here for Clash of the Champions actually that we're going to give you at the end of this podcast so stay tuned, keep listening so this is the biggest partnership that's ever been in wrestling according to Bobby the Brain Heenan and then we get a mention of Kevin Green, now Brian, I'm going to ask you if you know who Kevin Green is. I know he's a 
NFL star. That's yes. pretty much it. That's all I know. Right. All I know. I do know that he and Mongo have a match. Yeah. Further down the line, you're going to see quite a bit of Kevin Green actually, and for all the sh- all the <laughs> for all the funny stuff that Mongo did in the ring, Kevin Green's actually not that bad of a wrestler. And I, I I have said that about Mongo as well, to be fair. But Kevin Green is much more the the wrestler's wrestler than Mongo is. So when it comes to it, I think you'll be I think you'll be quite impressed by Kevin Green's ability. But yeah, he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he'll be turning up at the Clash of the Champions as well. Fleur goes to confront Woman straight off the bat. Given not five years ago she was valet to Fleur and to the Four Horsemen, she gives him a good slap, and Macho takes advantage, and the crowd is hot as hell for it as well. We've seen a lot of slaps in these nitros, actually. A lot yeah. of bitch slapping going on. Yeah, very slap heavy. Bischoff then tells us that Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors, are back too. So they're going to be at Clash of the Champions as well. Now, <laughs> I've spent more time talking about what the commentators have done than what's actually happening on the TV screen here. Just because I spent so much time typing on my phone. So I've got to look at my phone to type. And I've missed loads of stuff that's happened on the screen. Um, but now I can finally watch the match without having to type. I can concentrate on some actual wrestling. They literally cut into a break just as Macho is coming off the top rope to the floor, but getting a shitload of the guardrail in his face. Now, I wanted to ask you a question about this, because, again, like I said, I I watched the VHS rip, and you you will watch the the network. I know exactly what you're uh, going to say. It's that fucking (laughs) record scratch sound, isn't it? Yes! And I just want to pause it at that moment and just go, you're probably wondering how I got here. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's not complete unless you do it in Randy Savage's voice. Oh, come on. Maybe maybe, maybe when we launch the YouTube channel. Oh, come on, Uh, no, you've got to do it. Now, you, I'm sorry, you got to do it, because I ain't going to fucking do it, because I can't do a good voice, so... I've had, a, I've had a stout. I don't think I'll be able to do it. Just in case you were wondering what I'm drinking, I'm drinking uh, what is called a vanilla monsoon, yes, from Top Rock Brewing over there in Liverpool. Thank you very much, guys. And it was delivered by Tap Select Bar, who are in Ozzle Twizzle. If you are ever around the Blackburn, Darwin, Ozzle Twizzle area, check them out, because they're a fucking brilliant set of people the bar is just all retro games and it's ale and they do great food and it's just proper relaxed before lockdown it was the last place i went uh we went there on my birthday and they fucking sang happy birthday to me and everything was very embarrassing but yeah they're good guys so check them out at some point proposition if we ever ever decide fuck it let's just do a live show we have to do it there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have never be been it. there. I have never been there. You've just sold that place to me. Yeah, you'd love it, man. They've got the old, uh, the old, the proper old fucking gaming machines and everything like that in there. They do retro nights for you know NES, SNES, Sega Mega Drive. The fucking all, all of them. Honestly, all of them. Uh, I think at the moment he's he's literally only doing delivery of beer. Um, he doesn't know when he's going to reopen again, but. I certainly hope that they do because what a fucking he's a top bloke as well. Uh, the guy, the guy who runs it's a Rovers fan, so um, uh, he's a winner in my books. Yeah, he definitely is. So it just uh, it needs to happen. But I like that idea. That's really good. It's really good. So we've got 
So we literally cut into a break. So the, the other question I was going to ask you actually was, uh, did it show the sponsorship or did it just fade to black? It just fade to black. Right. So the VHS rip shows the sponsor, and the sponsor was McDonald's. Oh, so oh my God! This portion of WCW Nitro, or this portion of WCW Nitro, was sponsored by McDonald's. Have you had your break yet? Yeah. I'm moving it. <laughs> That's it was, the best Randy Savage impression I've ever done. Well, it was uh, it was well before the Justin Timberlake adverts, but yeah. I know, but that's the one that's fresh in my memory. Back from the break, Macho is all over Fleur, and after a Fleur flop, a backslide, Fleur gets a figure four, holding onto the ropes for heel effect. But the referee actually catches Fleur, and they get into a shoving match. I fucking lo- I love I love I love when referees get into shoving matches, but I love it especially when it's Ric Fleur because he'll sell. It's fucking ace. Fleur slows it down with a knee and a chop and attempts to go to the top rope and you can probably guess what happens next. Fleur eats guardrail. <laughs> Axe handles from the Macho Man from two separate ropes brings Jimmy Hart onto the apron. Macho's distracted by Jimmy Hart being on the apron. Uh, so Arn comes in and gets the brass knuckles out and they go straight into Macho's face. Hogan is then out to even the score, and the bell sounds to make us believe that he's actually been thrown out as a DQ. But Macho gets an elbow off the top rope, and the referee counts to three. Now, this fucking confused the fuck out of me. Yes, it did. But we're all celebrating. Macho's celebrating. Oakland confirms that he's the new champion, but Macho has a problem with Hogan celebrating too, and that is probably for selfish reasons. I do have to bring up, if we're actually going to really talk about ref interaction, or just ref, refs in general... Gotta said the fucking leap he did over uh, Savage. The leap Manning was work. delicious. Wow. Now that is what I yeah. want to see out of a referee. And it happens yeah. in AEW quite a lot. So, you know, I'm, I'm not new to it. I'm pretty used to it now. But in terms of WCW, where most of the refs are just lying flat out the mat, taking a snooze as they're just like, one, two, three. And, you know, being a, it's a totally disconnect. I want to see more of that, please. Actually yeah. be fucking enthusiastic about the pin. Yeah, I think, obviously, referees need character as well, don't they? Because they're on TV, so they need to be very flamboyant, if you like, but not not to a not to a fucking extreme extent. As you were saying, like, if, if they... You see, I think Johnny Boone does it a lot later on in WCW. He does a lot of the jumping over the, the people and stuff like that because they need to be on a certain side. But Aubrey Edwards, I mean, come on. If she's jumping around and then landing on them boobies, that's going to that's gonna hurt. Uh, fair play to her if she keeps fucking going. Yeah. Macho has a problem with Hogan celebrating this as well. Uh, and he says that it's probably for selfish reasons. Hogan will later face off against the one-man gang. So this, this confused me a little bit as well because I was under the impression that when Hogan said he was facing the one-man gang, it was for the United States title. And in WCW, the United States t- title essentially acted as the number one contendership to the World Heavyweight Championship. I started racking my brain as to think, did Hogan ever hold the US title? And I don't think he did. Yeah. We, I've got a lot to say about this, but I'm going to leave it to the main event. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool. We close off that little segment with a double, oh, yeah, <laughs> according to Macho Man. After the break, Bischoff confirms the title change again. So it's official, Macho Man is the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. From this Nitrogen podcast, this is the match that you need to watch. It's as simple as that. It's Dimalenko versus Brian Pillman. 
And this is a hotly anticipated matchup right here. Pillman not in the four horsemen attire, which is uh, slightly unusual when you're in a faction. Wearing a fucking crop top with a hole over the nipple. There was a hole over the nipple? Yes. I didn't see that. I I, I, I tried to make out who the person was, and I thought it was Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> but okay, I don't know. At first, actually, again, it was a VHS rip, right? At first, it looked like a Rihanna album cover. I can't, re- I can't remember the album now. It's black and white. Yeah, um, I, I couldn't tell you. No, but I'm pretty sure that on the shirt was Marilyn Monroe. I'm pretty sure it was. But yeah, that 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 the the cutout over the nipple. That's a that's a new one. It's a weird look. Yeah, definitely. So Malenko is on the uh, on the offense early. There's a big hip toss as Pillman bounces back up awkwardly off the ropes, uh, and a drop kick, which I'm not going to ask you about because you've not been no. doing them. <laughs> I haven't been doing them. It wasn't. I don't think it was a bad drop kick, though. To be fair, it was. The camera angle didn't help, uh, and Pillman didn't help himself either. He was kind of between a rock and a hard place. But uh, in terms of Malenko, he always he always looks smooth when he's doing anything, doesn't he? Really. Fucking hell! I actually was watching Dark Side of the Ring, and him just being interviewed. It was the smoothest interview ever. Yeah, and he's yeah. got a really deep voice as well for somebody who's so small. Oh fucking hell! Yeah. That croaky voice. Yeah, man. I can actually see why, and I'm not justifying it at all, but why WWE actually made him like a ladies' man gimmick, you know, because he does have the voice. Oh, yeah, he had James Bond's theme, didn't he? Oh, yes, he did. Fucking hell, I forgot about that. And then they reused that for Cesaro for a while and just put German uh, lyrics over it. Well, why the fuck not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> if WCW can get away with it, so can them. Mm, true. So Pillman spends time taunting the crowd and giving the camera shit by saying, Get out of here! Um, while rubbing Malenko's face in the mat shortly after. He screams into the camera, I've got a full metal jacket! Like It's like, well, apparently he's got a full metal jacket. Okay, fine. There's a nice vertical suplex uh, shortly after, but only a one count on that. Pillman shows the four-fingered hand symbol in Malenko's face for a, a couple of seconds and then accompanies it by, you guessed it, a massive slap. <laughs> Malenko then goes absolutely fucking mental with a whip to the corner and a very short arm clothesline. Uh, there's a brain buster and a pin attempt. Then, after a two count, he kicks a mud hole into Pillman in the corner. Pillman is whipped off again, but he reverses this time with a tilt-a-whirl spinning DDT, which is pretty nice. Uh, big chop to the chest and taunting Malenko again, but Malenko manages to get a butterfly suplex out of it. That was pretty nice. Pillman on the top rope after a brief, brief brawl outside attempts another tilt-a-whirl DDT, but Malenko throws him off. Fireman's carry thrown up and across the knee right into Pillman's stomach. It's pretty nice. Oh, it, it looks sick, did that. Mm. We... we Jump to an ankle lock, but Pillman gets to the ropes nice and early. Pillman goes onto the apron and gets an advantage as Malenko gets his foot tied in the ropes, falls backwards, and Pillman covers for a three count. Malenko's foot slips out of the ropes just as the referee is in visual range of it, and the win will remain with Brian Pillman. Very uh, very creative way to win a match in this one. Yeah. Um, it, it just underscores just how shit the refereeing is, though. It's like, there's just not a lot of consistency. It's like, where the ref was positioned, 
he could clearly see. He could clearly see that um, that the uh, Malenko's leg was in the ropes. There's mm. absolutely no excuse for that. But what he's actually done to actually try and sell it is, of course, ducked as far down as he possibly could, take a snooze on the mat. It, it's just one of my frustrations with refereeing in WCW. Other than that, a very good match. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty decent. And like I said, it's going to be the... Well, it would be my recommendation of the match to watch if you're going oh. back to any of these Nitros that we're covering. Yeah, nothing to take away from the match at all. Just another fucking shit finish. Yeah. Creative if the ref can't see it. You know, yeah. but with the ref actually just... It was, he was there, he saw it, and then he led down to pretend that, oh yeah, I didn't see it. And mm. it's like, ugh. It, it's the fundamentals of the refer, of a referee. The refereeing job is to... Oh, it, honestly, Mark, it's I mean, one you're of supposed, my main frustrations with WCW. You are, really you, are, you are supposed to be near a rope, aren't you, to see if there is some sort of like foot on the rope or whatever. But then yes. you'll, you'll see other matches where the referee... <laughs> <laughs> like the the foot will be on the rope and the referee can't see it, but then he'll just pop up and oh yeah yeah the foot's on the rope sort of thing. Like one of the wrestlers have just told you that the foot's on the rope literally because you're in the wrong place to see that. Yeah, yeah, it can be it can be frustrating at times. We see yeah we see an advert for WCW Saturday Night and it's good to see that Johnny Bibad will be facing somebody other than DDP. He's actually facing Meng on Saturday Night, so there you go. We might not see Johnny Bibad after this. Next up, we see uh, Harlem Heat versus Sting and Lex Luger, and I believe this was for the tag team championships. I don't, I don't know why Johnny be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that came to my head. I don't know. Uh, fucking hell. Sting is looking mega bright, like way brighter than this VHS rip that I watched can handle. Seriously, nothing much happening with Luger and Stevie Ray in the ring to start off with. It, it, it all jumps into action when Sting gets the tag. He cleans house, and as he goes for the scorpion on Stevie, Lex decides to distract the referee, and Booker T gives Sting a massive jumping axe kick to the head, and it looked so fucking good as well. Oh, he's so slick. The spot itself just came off to perfection. Lex was in the right place at the right time. The ref was in the right place at the right time. Everything just came off so fucking well, and Booker just looked a fucking million dollars from it. Sting will remain in and take all the punishment because of that. Booker T slows things down with an iron bar. Actually, but it brings me to the uh, the conversation you're having with somebody on Twitter, maybe uh, about a week ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, about who was who was WCW's biggest homegrown project, and the the vast majority did say Booker T. Yeah, it were I think it were Aria Davari that actually said the more he watches WCW, uh, the more he believes that Booker T was the uh, best wrestler to actually come out of the company mm. and I said that's a really big statement a very big statement considering that there was I suppose being really what Booker was known for he wasn't really I know he, had, he was on the territories or what was the, the remnants of the territories before he actually went to WCW but he wasn't like a well known star I think like the likes of Eddie Guerrero and Benoit and Jericho, you know, those kind of people that, okay, they they probably made a bigger name for themselves in WCW. They'd already been to places like Japan. So they were, they, they did have some notoriety. 
you know, and that's where my head was at. My head wasn't really thinking about that, that they had no notoriety. I'm just thinking like, well, these actually came up through WCW as well. And that's why I thought, yeah, pretty big statement. But no, uh, the more I think about it, the more I have to, the more I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, I mean, it takes it takes for people with more knowledge to sort of bring something up. And I know that like Benoit oh, and Jericho, they were all in ECW as well, weren't they? But to your point there, you know, when you're on WCW programming, you're on you 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 being showcased to a national and sometimes an international audience. ECW was on like local cable access, mm-hmm. wasn't on national t- TV, but people wrestling purists quote unquote whatever you want to fucking call them are always going to say oh, no it was in ECW first it's like well what was ECW at this point it w- it was nothing it wasn't a blip on the radar there were there were, there were two companies you know what I mean it, 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 there was ECW when it came to 98 99 you know wow. when they had fucking Mike Awesome and you know like they, they had they had a roster that anybody would be fucking proud of in ECW when it comes to 98, 99, and I think that's when they put the best stuff out, and it's also probably around that time that they were with TNN. For somebody to turn around and say, oh, well, Jericho was in fucking ECW in 1995, it's like, fuck off, really? Just just get the fuck out. And we can also make the argument that ECW didn't get any prominence until their stars started showing on WWE TV. Yeah. WWE gave them a massive fucking favour by doing that very I'd say very forgettable invasion angle back in 1997 Hmm. but they did it and that's where the likes of Rob Van Dam got showcased on TV and I'm completely in agreement there ECW weren't anything at this point they weren't the you know the rebel territory that that they became became to be in 98 and 99 yeah yeah but yeah, to go back to the original point, it probably is Booker T. It probably yeah. is, uh, and a lot of people are going to say. You, you, I mean, I I threw Sting's name into the hat as well, obviously because he was there from the beginning and all the way through the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, the arguments there. He was in the NWA. He was in UWF. So, what can you do? But just what a fucking just just fucking love Booker T. Sting urgently needs a tag, and Lex is helping Sting out whenever he can so there's showing signs that they're actually cohesive and that Lex could actually be a fucking baby face teasing this sort of in between type thing like is he or isn't he out of nowhere Sting gets a huge flurry of offence going back and forth between the two members of Harlem Heat I I thought he'd been actually like legitimately punched because he reacted in such a way that it made me fucking genuinely believe that Sting had just broke out of character and started fucking whacking people for no reason yeah, it was very fiery. Yeah, but as he goes back to Booker, who is on the apron, he gets guillotined over the top rope, and the commentators are still putting doubt in the people's heads as to whether Luger is good or bad. He's, he, they say he's looking shifty on the apron, he's pulling over the referee at the wrong times. They're also promoting the wedding of Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker at the Clash of the Champions tomorrow. So the Clash of the Champions is looking pretty stacked because there's a wedding. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> between two people that nobody really cares about it's all holds and strikes keeping Sting at bay here until Booker goes for the Harlem hangover and Sting moves Sting finally after a few seconds tags in Lex and cleans Harlem heat but the referee hasn't seen it and says he isn't legal 
Something the commentators have completely missed and are not elaborating on. So this tag has been ruled out because of the referee, but no commentator mentions it whatsoever. Jimmy Hart has given Luger a weapon, and obviously Luger is back on the apron because he's been told that he's not legally tagged. Again, the commentators say fuck all about it, but they do emphasise about the weapon. We finally get a tag, and Booker T randomly gets out of the ring for no fucking reason. He sees that Lex Luger gets tagged in, so Booker T sort of like, okay, I'm going to go out here. While Stevie Ray is battering Sting, Lex bashes Stevie with a roll of quarters that breaks apart when he punches him. Now, that was fucking pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. A roll of quarters in Caesars Palace in Las Vegas, Nevada, gambling capital of the world. And the coins just go everywhere. Just a really good effect, I thought. And if you actually listen very closely, you can hear the ring noise from Sonic when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) Not a brilliant match by any stretch of the imagination. Sting going mental and the the finish, they were pretty good. But other than that, just a, a pretty... Now, I haven't written at the end of this because I wasn't entirely sure it. Was it for the tag team titles and did... It was. So they won the tag team titles then? Yes. Right, so Sting and Luger are the tag team champions here. They've only been together... Well, apparently they've only been together for like two or three weeks. And this is something that really... Um really plays in to my thoughts on the main event. Right. Oh, I'm fucking hot, dude. I'm oh, hot. here we go. So the main event is going to be One Man Gang versus Hulk Hogan. Yes. And I didn't hear that it was for the title, but I didn't hear that it wasn't for the title either until the end. Yeah, it wasn't for the title. And uh, can, I, can I really... Can I just... Take this match, please. You know, oh, yeah. just, uh... you be my fucking guest, mate. I'll I'll just yes, have a sleep uh... like I did during the actual match. Yeah. What I wrote down was uh one man gang is dressed like a black pudding, typical Hogan <laughs> match. Oh <laughs> You can carry on, go on. Typical Hogan <laughs> match <laughs> over in three minutes. Lame. Winner, who cares? <laughs> wow I wrote way more than you did <laughs> it's a Hogan match what more can we really say oh man I'd, I don't know I mean to be fair I have I've skipped right to the end I haven't written anything I've literally written collar and elbow tie up to all the corners this isn't going to be good yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so I'm going to really lay down why I'm fucking pissed off with this because there's so many fucking layers to it. There's so many layers as to why this makes me hot. First of all, is that, as you said, the WCW title match should end the show. Always, 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 always. That is the most important title in the company, in the business, if you want to sell it that way. It should be on last. It's on first. It's on first before the tag title match. But, you know, it is what it is. They're in Las Vegas. They want a hot start. Yada, yada, yada. They could have had an even bigger match than that. But they don't. So, I'm not happy about that, number one. Number two is that both titles, both titles that are on the line tonight, change hands. This match is a three-minute Hulk Hogan 
I won't even say spot fest because that was giving him way too much fucking credit. They're not fucking spots. It's Hulk Hogan doing a fucking eye rake and a tie collar, you know, collar and elbow fucking tie up and Hulk up, I've got to go over, brother. You know, it's the same old Hulk Hogan bullshit that we've seen over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's not even for the fucking title. So it says to me that Hulk Hogan power played this to fuck. I'm not going to make One Man Gang look good. I don't want to challenge for the WCW United States title because it's beneath me. But I want to fucking go on last. Fuck you, Terry. Seriously. (laughs) You are not bigger than fucking WCW. You are not bigger than the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. You, in your mind, and only in your mind, are the biggest fucking thing in wrestling because of something that fans were fucking tired of three fucking years ago. Fuck off. Seriously. Why was that the main event? I could understand a little bit more if he actually gave One Man Gang anything. But he gave him absolute fuck all. He made One Man Gang look bad. He made himself look like... You know, he didn't even make himself look good. It was just doing the same old Hulk Hogan ding-dong. It's not entertaining anymore. And in my own way, in, in, in many ways, I blame WWE for this. Because they let him get away with this for so fucking long. You know, kept you know stroking his ego, telling him he's the best and all this. And then when they fucking decided that that's no longer going to work, that's not gonna, no longer going to work, you know, he threatened to go to Hollywood and, you know, do whatever, you know, and all that. And they had to, like, coax him back and then let him fucking take the title at WrestleMania 9 and make Bret Hart look bad. You know, they just constantly fed his fucking ego. So he believes in his own fucking head that he's still the biggest fucking thing. And you know what? He probably is, you know, still the biggest name in wrestling. But if you're telling me he's bigger than the fucking company, you're not. You're really not. You're not bigger than the company. You're not bigger than the title. You do not deserve to be on the main, you know, in the main event above two, not one, two title matches against somebody that is a fucking champion and not even fucking challenged for it. Oh, it was so cathartic getting that off my chest. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I... On a, I'm just so fucking sick of Hogan. I, I really am just sick of it. I just want him to go away. I can't wait to fucking, what is it, thunder in fucking paradise. That's going to be fucking paradise for me when he fucks off for a bit. Then I don't have to see this shit and then he can come back and join the NWO and actually be entertaining and get away with being the dickhead that he is because he's a fucking heel. I just can't wait for him to go away because I've... He's worse than Dungeon of Doom. At this point, it's worse than the Dungeon of Doom. Right. At least Dungeon of Doom know their fucking place on the card. Just so you know, Thunder in Paradise happened like two years before this. Well, whatever it, it whatever. <laughs> it is, <laughs> I don't even fucking. I said I don't know. You know, that's how much I pay attention to Hulk Hogan's outside fucking ventures. Fucking Thunder in Paradise. Fucking what? What were it? You uh, not Universal Soldiers. Whatever he fucking did for on. What was that TV show they were, they were on at this point? Like, uh, I don't know. No, I, I fuck it. You know, it, it goes away for a while. That's that's the important thing. He goes away for a while. Mm. 
Well, please go away, Hogan. For, I please. mean, from what you're saying there, I, I think I, I, I tend to agree with you, to be honest, because I, I'm a traditionalist, and like I said earlier in this podcast, where I'm a, I'm a, a firm believer in world title matches have to go last because the the it's the prestigious element to it. There's a reason why it's called the main event. Imagine if you went to a boxing bout, yeah. Just WBF. WBF, right. The WBF, WBF champion faces off against fucking whoever in the first fucking match in the card. Right. First and foremost, like nobody is paying 30 quid box office to watch the first match and not watch anything else. There's a reason why you've got an undercard. It's just, it's factual. It's just basic, just fucking wrestling and general TV production mentality. Yeah, I don't watch a porno to see the finish at the beginning and then just see them <laughs> fuck for 20 minutes <laughs> after that. At that point, you know, you've come and you've gone. <laughs> ah, nice, nice. But yeah, you're right, you're right, because not only are you getting Hogan, you're getting Hogan and one-man gang, you're getting two guys who who just terrible wrestlers. One-man gang's better than Hogan, but still. Um, and yeah, you know, there is a title... But it's not on the line. And then you've got people like Sting, Luger, you've got Booker T, you've got Stevie Ray. I'm even going to throw Stevie Ray in there, right? You've got Macho Man and Ric Flair having to take a back seat to this. Shit. And, the and they're the ones actually making an effort to entertain as well. Yeah. This is Hulk Hogan just having, you know, it, it just reeks of Hogan's uh, creative control. That don't work for me, brother. Bullshit. Hmm. You know, and again, I blame WWE for this, for feeding his ego for fucking many years. I get it. I do get it. He was a star in the 80s. By the time the 90s rolled around, people were starting to get tired of him. Yep. You know, when he, uh, by the time he left WWE, he was being resoundingly booed. There has been many many occasions on these Nitros as we've gone along where he has been resoundingly booed and it just it's just such a disconnect to me you're just not the star that you think you are That's that time has come and it's gone you know yeah. and people probably could make a claim for Randy Savage but the thing is with people like Randy Savage he still makes an effort to be entertaining and when he's actually wrestling if he's wrestling, you know, the likes of, say, fucking... If, if you put him in the ring against Alex Wright, he's going to make Alex Wright look good. He's going to sell the fuck off for Alex Wright. We've shown... He, he does it for Ric Flair in this. You know, he, that's what he does. He makes his opponent look good, and he might make a comeback, but he doesn't fucking hook up about uh, to do it. Just To be honest with you, in this match, there's no reason for Hogan to hook up. He's not in peril at all. No. He just fucking hooks up spontaneously. Mm. Fucking touch a hair on his fucking chest and he hooks up. What's the point? You may as well have just picked one man gang up, military press, leg drop, done. And that would have been better. And that's not saying a lot. No. No. It'll be interesting to see the next Nitro because I get the I get a sneaking suspicion that they see the rating for this at 3.4. Uh, sorry, get see the rating of three point four for the previous Nitro, which is obviously Hogan and Meng in the main event again. You know, main event in over a fucking world title match. 
and thought, hey, fucking hell, Hogan's got it back. He's, he's, he's got fucking lightning in a bottle again, so let's get him in another main event. Let's do it. From a the the only the only positive I'm going to give it is that from a storyline developmental point of view, just like earlier, it makes sense to have it as the show closer. But I'm sure there is another way that they could have done it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's gone out of his way to not even give one man gang anything. Yeah, nothing. He gives him nothing. In the structure for this, you'd think there is absolutely no reason why Flair and Savage can't go on last. No, absolutely. And that's not. when that's you know that's when the the the, the fucking schmoz happens at the end, as, as they De- like to say. So I'll de- I'll detail that just before we carry on. So at the end of this match, after it's all said and done, Zodiac randomly comes out quite comically. Uh, Benoit is out, Orn is out, and finally Savage comes out to help Hogan. Mayhem is outside of the ring. Uh, with the Dungeon and the Horseman mega faction while everybody is holding the giant back, while Pillman's dancing around, running around and jumping around, saying he wants to see him go for it. Um, Arn tells him to calm the fuck down. Pillman says they should just go after them right now, but it's a big no from the rest of them. Kevin Sullivan says something, I'm not entirely sure what it is. We go into another promo with Macho and Hogan. This is becoming like a a really frequent thing in, in... and I like Macho on the mic, but it's getting tedious now. And this um, is just a rehash of the fucking promo. That's from exactly the beginning of the show. Exactly what I've written. That's exactly what I've written. Pretty much the same as the promo after Macho won the title again earlier tonight. Uh, and this also really speaks to what they've been doing throughout, as particularly the fucking Sting Lex Luger bollocks as well. Is that they're just constantly, constantly, week after week. Beating the fucking story into our heads. We get it. This is not the best way to utilise Mean Gene because it makes him look dumb. Mm. Like, it makes him look like he's not getting the fucking message when they repeat themselves again and again and again and again and again. But they're doing that week to week. This is a rehash of the same fucking promo twice in one fucking night. To be fair, I don't even think that they're doing it once a week because I think when it comes to Saturday Well, they were doing but... They're going to be doing it oh. on Saturday night as well. Oh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Oh. So they're going to be detailing, oh, this is what happened on Nitro, and, and it just carries on, doesn't it? So I'm kind of glad that we're not watching anything else other than just Nitro. But I agree with you again that it is it is cycling. We're cycling around the same things over and over again. For for what reason, I don't know. And um, let's, let's be fair, you've only got like 50 minutes of TV average every week. You don't need filler. Yeah. You don't need filler. Hogan announces Kevin Green and Miss Elizabeth will be in the corner of Hogshaw. That's what I've called them. <laughs> Hogan and Macho. Um, there's a synchronised ooh yeah right at the end, which is so cheesy. Uh, obviously because Hogan's tripe isn't over anymore. The commentators run down the show and promote Clash of the Champions tomorrow. Heenan goes off on one and then... <laughs> this is <laughs> It's funny now because you've just gone off on one as well. <laughs> Heenan goes off on one just like Brian did then and then drops his headset and says he doesn't have to sit here and take McMichael interrupting him all the time as we go off the air. And that is another, that's another nitro in the can. And that was a fucking shoot, I swear. That was a Bobby Heenan shoot, that do, as well. Do you think? Just... Oh, I, b- I just believe it, because the thing is about Mongo, I've praised his commentary, but he 
does speak over the other commentators quite a lot. Mm. And Heenan being the consummate professional, he just wants to do his fucking job. And it's well documented that he wasn't particularly happy being there at the time. He was only he only really took that job because his daughter was going to to college in the area. Um, yeah, he didn't really want to be there, but he's he's doing his job at the end of the day. And if you've got this loud, obnoxious guy constantly fucking shouting over you all the time, after what fucking twenty twenty one weeks has it been now of yeah of that shit? I'd be pretty pissed off too. I just get the feeling that that was a fucking shoot, and maybe it's just Heenan being being Heenan, just being a brilliant character. I might be completely wrong. Well, it's good to have a different perspective, isn't it? It's good to have a different thing in in your mind as to what it is, and if it if you think it's real, then yeah. Uh, personally, it's I mean, still real to me. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think it was. A bit, I don't know. I, I, I not scripted, but I kind of think he was just—he was being Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, it might have just been an opportunity to vent out genuine yeah. feelings as well. Sometimes those two bounce off each other so well that I find it very difficult not to believe that they didn't have some sort of camaraderie. So I do. I did kind of think because I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed him going off on one, and I enjoyed him prodding oh, Eric Bischoff on the shoulder. So yeah, I kind of, uh, I kind of thought that it, yeah, it must have been, and it made for decent TV at the end. It was something. As as we're closing out this nitro, I would rather the last thing I remember be Heenan throwing his fucking cans onto the fucking table and prodding Eric Bischoff, saying, "I don't need to take this shit anymore," than. Hulk Hogan and Macho Man doing a synchronised oh yeah I would say it's a better ending than anything Hulk Hogan could have ever fucking done very true the ratings well they didn't reflect last week so Hogan should be back not main eventing <laughs> one can hope 2.7 versus Rose 2.9 and the raw results were Vader with Jim Cornette defeating Savio Vega Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeating Razor Ramon via count out WWF World Ch- now fucking WWF World Champion Bret Hart defeated WWF Intercontinental Champion Goldust with uh, it was accompanied to the ring by Marlena. The Raw actually included another billionaire Ted skit, and you'll notice that in the past two Nitros there haven't been any Raw results given on Nitro. This billionaire Ted's wrestling war room contains the Huckster and the Nacho Man and his advisors and they're all just congregating around this table asking for an original idea firing more cannons over the bow except this time it's from the WWF heading towards WCW for a change we did dissect that to be fair we did dissect that quite a lot on the last podcast so we don't really need to go into it again that's just to keep you guys abreast Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, we're on all of them. If you don't know what it is by now, you've not been listening long enough, it's at NitrogenCast. Come talk to us. We're always available. And uh, we'd love to actually hear your feedback on everything that's happened previously, but we do have a very special announcement to make. We are going to be doing a watch-along episode for the Clash of Champions, which in 
in 1996 WCW World is actually tomorrow, but we won't be recording it tomorrow. But it will oh. be out before the next podcast. Ooh, so, what a bonus episode for you guys. Bonus episode, yeah. We, we've been planning it for a while. Brian's been adamant about it, to be fair. <laughs> I've never watched an episode of Clash of the Champions, so I'm very intrigued to see how it really differs from Nitro or just any other wrestling production because it is held in high regard in the wrestling world. And I guess a lot of that has to do with Dusty Rhodes being the creator of it. Mm. We're actually watching it together, well not together, in separate rooms, but watching it and just talking about it as it goes along. And I think it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we're we're all about trying new stuff here, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna give this a go. We're gonna see how it goes, and obviously, once it drops, we'd love to hear your feedback. We hope you're excited for it. We hope that all you listeners out there are, are going to be down for it. We hope you'll you'll switch your network on and get Clash of the Champions 1996 up. And there's two in 1996 and two in 1997. Ah, well, there we go then. We want you to join us in this one. Just join us press play when we press play and let's let's just have a fantastic time we're gonna have a few beers as well so you never know what's gonna happen <laughs> good night good day wherever you are drip the light fantastic